Uh, This morning, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read two verses, verses 1 and 2, and um, then we're going to talk primarily uh, about a phrase in verse 2, and this um, is very cliche. This is a very much of a New Year sermon, uh, but this is my prayer. This is my hope. you know, my prayer wish for us this year as the people of God, people who have gathered uh, even this morning to, to lean into what God has to say to us. And maybe you're here this morning, one of your resolutions is that, I, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in church more this year. I'm going to uh, be more involved. I'm going to be more regular at that. And so, um, welcome to you. I'm glad you're here, and trust that this is um, that the Lord has things planned for us this year that we can't even imagine, and that will exceed all of our great expectations in our lives. And so, I'm going to read uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll walk through a couple of things this morning. Paul writes this. He says, "I appeal to you, therefore, and." Um, he, he's making this appeal. It's the transition in Romans. He's been writing 11 chapters about who God is and all the things that God has done, namely, to send his son to make the way of salvation for us, to, to satisfy the demands and the consequences, the penalty of our sin, and that, that God has sent His Son Jesus to, to step in, to, to take our place, to, to be the one who suffers the consequence of our sin. So that this great exchange He talks about, we can become all that Jesus is because of that. And the way you do that is by faith. And so He He says here in 12, as he kind of turns the corner of this is all about who God is and what God's done, now here's here's your response to that. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. And Paul, of all the things he he could have said, I appeal to you because God is bigger than you are. I appeal to you because God is sovereign, or He's glorious, or He's omnipotent. Or He could have named all the things He wanted to about God, and the one He chose is God's mercy. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says this in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to hear from you this morning. And so, to that end, I pray that you'd get me right out of the way this morning and that the words I say uh, would accord with your word. 
And, and everything that doesn't, I pray that it would just burn up in the air before it, before it hits our ears and certainly before it would get into our mind. Father, we, we do want to hear from you. We want to begin even today to pursue what it means to renew our mind. And so we ask this the only way we can, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. So that's the phrase uh, out of the second verse there, Romans 12, 2. Uh, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. The, the word transform literally there means uh, transfigured. It's a word in the Greek. It comes from two words, uh, meta and morpho. Uh, metamorphosis is, is the word that we get from that in the English. And it's, it's used uh, twice. So, or twice it's translated as, as transfigured, and two times it's translated as transformed. And the basic meaning of it is being changed into another form, from, from one form to another. In, in biology, the term, we apply it to, to changing like of a, a, you know, a worm to, to a butterfly. A, a, um, it, it's not a superficial change. It's not this like, you know, you change your fashion or you change your look or you change your hair. It, it's, a, it's, an, it's a transformation from one thing to another thing. In this context, it is, a, it is a change that then reveals itself in a new life. If you were to follow Paul's theology through Romans, what he's talking about is that the things that have happened to you on the inside as a believer, if you're a believer this morning, that, that those things that have taken place on the inside would then show themselves on the outside of your life. And he will go on in 12 and in 13 and 14 and, and how it'd show it, it would show itself in our relationships with each other. It would show it, uh, itself, this, this change that's happened on the inside that God's done. It would show itself in our life so that others would see and go, oh, oh, you, you're transformed. The, the verb, though, I, I want you to, to know this, it's, it's passive. Be transformed. And it tells us three things. One, it's something that is happening to you. That's what it means that, it isn't, that it's in the passive voice. It is happening to you, namely, by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, you jot that down in your margin if you do such things. Um, it... it Tells us about being transformed, uses the same word. It says transformed into the image of Christ, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's happening to you. Second thing it tells us is that it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. In fact, we're always in process. It's always going on in our Christian life. And third, the way that it's put is it, it, we don't have a choice. It's a command. The imperative, be transformed. 
It's the same word used to describe what took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the reality of who Christ is, Christ is, is God. And, and that came shining through, it came bursting forth. Paul's calling for this outward change in the character and the conduct of, of our life. And it's supposed to correspond to what's going on on the inside, the, the, the inward change that's happening. Hang on here. All right. It's a ladybug. See, the problem is when we think of transformation, we usually we think too low. You know? We, we don't have high enough expectations. We should think of words like radiant or light or unmistakable lightness, likeness. We're called to nothing less. You think about it this way. The process of transformation is a cooperation with God. So you can't transform yourself um, this is something God is doing. Be transformed. It, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but you are to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. You, you can think about it like this. You, you can't make yourself healthy overnight. In fact, you can't really fake health for very long. You, you can't wake up and, and put on healthy. Health is something that happens to you as you cooperate with things that make you healthy. So I've heard. I mean, but vegetables, I mean, th this is not new. I, I mean, I'm no doctor, but I can tell you a few things. Vegetables, exercise, sleep, lower your stress. You, you don't make yourself healthy, but you cooperate with these things that cause health. And before long, you begin to exude health. If you cooperate, though, with, you know, potato chips and Coca-Cola and stress and sedentary... You have no other option than to exude unhealth. Being transformed is something God must do, but it requires your cooperation. So how do we cooperate with him? By the renewal of your mind. He, he doesn't say by your will. Doesn't say by your experience. And there, listen, there, there's a place for both of those. But it's not where Paul goes as the key to our cooperation in transformation. Renew, to, to make new again. That literally means a, a renovation. You know, like the old um, extreme home makeover television show. It's used only twice in the New Testament. The other place Paul uses it, uh, Titus chapter 3, says he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness... But according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, this renewal of our minds, it's nothing less, nothing short of a mental revolution. T taking our normal, you know, selfish, self-centered human way of seeing life and giving us a point of view that we could not have without God's Spirit changing our way of thinking. And so then what Paul does is he moves beyond the initial change of our mind 
And now he's, we're into the continual yielding of our mind to the will of God. A, a renewed mind. One way to think about it is a renewed mind is a, is a mind, is an outlook that you have that is God's perspective. And he goes on, and this is what Paul does, to show us how vitally important it is to protect our mind. And there's a few reasons for that. One, we've got to protect our mind because Satan is such a liar. He promotes doubt and discontent and defiance. It's what we see in Genesis chapter 3. It's the same thing Satan does to, to Christ in the wilderness, in, in, in Jesus' temptation. But what Jesus does, he returns the lie with a, with a truth. It reminds us, oh, how important the truth of Scripture is in our life. Satan's a liar. The second thing that we would come to learn here in Romans is that what our mind lingers on has incredible power over us. Romans 8, 5, he said this a few chapters before this. He says, for, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To to set your mind on the flesh, he says, that's death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Whatever our mind lingers on, it captures our emotions and, and has such a powerful effect on our will. <clears throat> All right, so let me, get, let, let me step on your toes for a second. It's January the 2nd. You, you're up for this, all right? So I did a Google search yesterday. I was curious about it. I, mostly concerned about you. Uh, not really me, but I'm concerned about you. <laughs> but I Googled, how, so how much screen time... Does the average American have a week? How much time do you spend watching a screen? So, the conservative estimation is 28 hours a week. It adds up to two months a year. And in a life of 65 years, it totals nine years watching a screen. John Stott has a book on preaching, and in it he talks about this lengthy exposure, and in, in, in the day that he wrote it, it was uh, television. And, and so what Stott says about it... <clears throat> is that television, his conclusion was, you know, it pr produces a physical laziness, intellectual flabbiness is what he says, emotional exhaustion, psychological confusion, moral disorientation. Those seem like big words, but if you 
took the time to unpack each of them, he's probably right. And then he goes on, he says, well, what this means for us, for preachers, and he's saying this about himself, especially me, is that we must improve our ability to communicate effectively and hold attention with no antics or gimmicks and no violence. But it doesn't mean we can abandon our calling to preach the whole counsel of God. And then he says this, Therefore, it should be expected that preaching will sometimes be the most demanding thing you hear all week. Peter, in his last letter, in fact, the last, some of the last words Peter writes, he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. Now, then he says in verse 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And then he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do of the Scriptures. Here's what Peter's saying in his last letters. He's writing to these believers. He says, man, I love it when Paul writes. He always writes about the Lord's salvation. And if we're honest, there are things that Paul writes that are hard to understand. And this is Peter. And so I'm just here to say, I mean, let me say it all over again. We should expect, given the ways that our lives, I mean, we, we, we live in sound bites. We... We watch story arcs that wrap themselves up in 22 minutes or 41 minutes, depending on if it's a half hour or hour long. We have minds that are trained to consume information as we are entertained. And so, time in God's Word the, the preaching of God's Word, the time spent in small groups around the living room, around God's Word, those may be the most demanding hours of your week. And I can't see how it would be otherwise if Peter himself says some of those things are hard to understand. Which means part of the renewal of our mind. will feel like pressing in, doing the hard thing. Spending time in God's Word, even when we find ourselves so distracted, you know, listen, I don't know if it's comforting to you or not, or discouraging. I mean, there are times that I'll be in God's Word in the morning, and I'll read it, and I'll read through three or four verses, and I'll think, I don't even know what I just read. I have to go back and read them over again and read them over again and dial my mind into God's Word, trusting that the Holy Spirit's there with me, helping me. But that we would 
We would spend it, we would say, you know what, okay, this is a year, this is a year, the renewal of my mind year, I'm going to, I'm going to press in to God's Word when it's hard. And I think what you find is the more you press in when it's hard, if you were to take your, you know, temperature now and your temperature a year from now, you would... you would find that, you know, part of that renewal of your mind, part of that what's going on on the inside coming out to the, you know, making its way to the outside, you, you're better for it. That maybe it's not as hard in some places next year as it is today. Well, the third thing, so Satan's a liar. What our minds linger on has incredible power. The, the third thing I would say, and then I'll, I'll wrap this up, is that the perspective we have impacts our practice. Our worldview determines the, the values that we have and the, and the and the, and, the, and the way that we live, you know, we have perspective, and then it sets our priorities, and then our priorities are revealed in our practice. And so much of the time, we, we go to God's Word, or we listen to preaching, we say, okay, what, what am I supposed to do? In reality, one of the things God's Word is interested in is how do you think? How do you see the world? You know, I mean, so often I say this, and I might as well say it today, and then you'll hear it all year long probably, is that God's Word is not interested in you becoming a better version of you. It's not interested in telling you, hey, look, you know, you're kind of okay, you got some rough edges. If you'll do these five things, you'll be better. That's not what God's Word's doing. God's Word is not interested in you becoming a better version of you at all. God's Word is interested, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. You know what God's Word's interested in doing? God's Word's interested in putting you to death so that you would experience daily what it is to live new life. That the Holy Spirit would breathe new life into you. That you are constantly being put to death and brought to life. It is not interested in you being a better version of you. It is interested in you being a new creation that your mind would be transformed, that you would be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So how do you renew your mind? Here's here's a handful of things. One, you've got to spend time alone with God. You've got to. There's there's no way. So I, I was so tempted to go to 2 Peter this morning, but there was way too many verses and But here's what what Peter says in 2 Peter. 
He says the whole key to everything is the knowledge of God. And it's not just knowing facts about God. It is knowing Him intimately. And that knowing God intimately does this thing. It, 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 so so you, you can't get any more of God than you already have, but you can know more of God than you do. You can know more of him relationally and intimately. And in that, what happens is you begin to experience what Peter says is this divine power that begins to exercise in your life. I'm t- 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 and 4, you can read it this afternoon. And he says, man, I, this is what I hope for you. I hope that you will grow, that, that the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ would be immeasurable in your life. That you would continue to grow and grow. It would be multiplied in your life. And you can't do that apart from spending time alone with God. So whether that's a morning devotional you know, you get up and it's at 6 o'clock every morning. This is what I'm going to do. Or, you know, if you, some people operate, the best hour of my day, that's the day I'm going to give to the Lord. It's what changes our perspective. What you believe about Jesus' earthly ministry will have a profound effect on your devotional life. If you believe that the power of his ministry resided only in the fact that he was the Son of God and that the power of that ministry flowed from his deity, you will view the need for a devotional life one way. But if you believe that his power, as God incarnate, fully human, flowed from another source, then your devotional life will look differently. Listen to this, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, those who were with him searching for him, and they found him and said, hey, everybody's looking for you. I want to be alone with the Father. Luke 5, Luke tells us he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. An old pastor, Alan Redpath, he wrote wrote it this way. If a man would walk with God, a man or woman, if a man would live a holy life, if a man would assume authority and hold it down because God holds him down, he has to know what it is to pay the price of a closed door. Sometimes even his family are on the other side. For no Christian is more effective in their life than when they are alone with God and on their knees. For the greatest transactions of one's Christian life are made not in church but behind closed doors. We won't find time to spend alone with God. We've got to make that time. There's always a dozen other things that you can do with that 15 minutes or 30 minutes or, or hour. 
But a transformed life by the renewal of your mind means that, you know what, you make some hard decisions this year. You say, you know what, I'm going to prioritize that. I'm going to make time for that. All right, we'll move on. Listening to God. So, Spending time alone with God, and then I would say listening to God by meditating on Scripture. And I'll, I'll read this thing, and I'll bounce through two more. You, you, you with me five more minutes? Um, John Piper wrote this a couple of years ago. It's, when, it's one of my favorite things to, to read through periodically. He says this, let me tell you about a most wonderful experience I had early Monday morning, March 19th, 2007, a little after 6 o'clock. God actually spoke to me. There's no doubt that it was God. I heard the words in my head just as clearly as when a memory of a conversation passes across your consciousness. The words were in English, but they had about them an absolutely self-authenticating ring of truth I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God still speaks today. I couldn't sleep for some reason. I was at a Shalom house in northern Minnesota on a staff couple's retreat. It was about 5.30 in the morning, and I lay there wondering if I should get up or wait until I got sleepy again. In his mercy, God moved me out of bed. It was mostly dark, but I managed to find my clothing, get dressed, grab my briefcase, slipped out of the room without waking up Noel, and that's his wife. In the main room below it, it was totally quiet. No one else seemed to be up, so I sat down on a couch in a corner to pray. As I prayed and mused, suddenly it happened. God said, come and see what I've done. There was not the slightest doubt in my mind that these were the very words of God. In this very moment, at this very place in the 21st century, 2007, God was speaking to me with absolute authority and self-evidencing reality. I paused to let it sink in, and there was a sweetness about it. Time seemed to matter little. God was near. He had me in his sights. He had something to say to me. When God draws near, hurry ceases. Time slows down. I, I wondered what he meant by come and see. Would he take me somewhere like he did Paul into heaven to see what can't be spoken? Did see mean that I would have a vision of some great deed of God that no one else has seen? I'm, I'm not sure how much time elapsed between God's initial word, come and see what I've done, and his next words, it doesn't matter. I was being enveloped in the love of his personal communication. The God of the universe was speaking to me. Th then he said, as clearly as any words have ever come to my mind, I am awesome in, your, uh, I am awesome in my deeds towards the children of man. My heart leapt up. Yes, Lord. You're awesome in your deeds, yes, to, uh, to all men, whether they see it or not. Yes, and now, what will you show me? And the words came again, just as clearly as before, but increasingly specific. I turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They rejoiced in me who rules by my might forever. Suddenly, I realized God was taking me back several thousand years to time when he dried up the Red Sea and the Jordan River. I was being transported by his word back into history to those great deeds. This is what he meant by come and see. He was transporting me back to, the, to his words, uh, by his words to those two glorious deeds before the children of men. These were the awesome deeds he referred to. God himself was narrating the mighty works of God. He was doing it for me. He was doing it with words that were resounding in my mind, and there settled over me a wonderful reverence, a palatable peace came down. It was a holy moment. 
a holy corner of the world in northern Minnesota. God Almighty had come down and given me the stillness and the openness and the willingness to hear his very voice as I marveled at his power to the dry sea and the river. He spoke again. I keep watch over the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. This was breathtaking. It was very serious. It was almost a rebuke, at least a warning. He may as well have taken me by the collar of the shirt and lifted me off the ground with one hand and said in an incomparable mix of fierceness and love, never, 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 never exalt yourself. Never rebel against me. I sat staring at nothing. My mind was full of the global glory of God. I I keep watch over the nations. He'd said this to me. It was not just that he said it. Yes, that was glorious, but he said it to me. The very words of God were in my head, and they were there in my head just as much as the words that I'm writing at this moment are in my head. They were heard as clearly as, uh, as if at this moment I recalled that my wife said, come down for supper whenever you're ready. And I know these words are the words of my wife, and I know these words are the words of the Lord. Think of it. Marvel at this, he says. Stand in awe. The God who keeps watch over the nations like some people keep watch over cattle or stock markets or construction sites, this God still speaks in the 21st century. I heard his very words. He spoke to me personally. What effect did they have on me? Well, it filled me with a fresh sense of God's reality. assured me more deeply that he acts in history and in our time. It strengthened my faith. Why else would he come and tell me these things? It's increased my love for the Bible is God's very word because it was through the Bible that I heard these divine words. And through the Bible, I've experienced this almost every day. The very God of the universe speaks on every page into my mind and into your mind. We hear his very words. God himself has multiplied his wondrous deeds And thoughts towards us, none can compare with him. I will proclaim and tell of him, yet they are more than than can be told. Psalm 40, verse 5, and the best of all, they're available to you. If you'd like to hear the very same words I heard on the couch in northern Minnesota, he says, read Psalm 66, 5 through 7. That's where I heard them. Because we understand the will of God primarily through the Word of God. It's a great little essay that he wrote. It's this reminder, God's speaking. He's speaking. Are you listening? It's available to you in a hundred different ways at any moment. Well, another way that we renew our mind, we rest in God, rest in Him. We rest in Him. We stir our affections for God. We do that by reading other writers, like what Johnny was doing this morning, reading from a, do you call him a wizard? Maybe don't read wizards, but anyways. (laughs) He's reading from Paul Tripp. He's a good one. Stirring our affections for God by reading others who are already stirred up. In fact, there's an old Puritan John Cotton, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody. I didn't say it. Cotton did. 
But he was, he was asked, he said, well, he would read late into the evening, you know, and he was asked, why, why do you read so late into the evening? He said, because I love to sweeten my mouth with a piece of Calvin before I go to sleep. Right on. Two more things. One, contemplate meeting God face to face. Contemplate it. What it would be like. We are told in Scripture we are to long for His appearing. To put it another way, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days so we get a heart of wisdom. I'd say there's scarcely anything more that'll purge the priorities, the vanities that we have by contemplating the moment we meet God face to face. Lastly, take responsibility for your spiritual growth. You've got to do that. We can't produce health. We can't transform ourselves, but we can cooperate. And if you want the most out of your spiritual life on a Sunday morning, then Sunday morning can't be the sum total of your spiritual life. If Sunday morning is the grand total of your spiritual life, you are dying of hunger. You're wasting away in a desert. Sunday, what we do, this is a, it's a supplement to your spiritual growth because you've been in the Scriptures during the week and you've had a coffee with somebody or gone to a small group or that you've spent time in God's Word, you've spent time reading His Scripture, you've spent time praying to Him and hearing from Him. And if you'll decide to cooperate, to, to lean in to reading God's Word, to meditating upon it, to resting in Him, to stirring your affections by those whose affections are stirred. Taking responsibility, you will begin to see the fruit of a transformed mind. You'll see it in your life. Listen, you'll see it in your marriage. You'll see it with your kids. You'll see it in your ministry. You'll be amazed at what life is like when the transformation that has happened and is happening on the inside begins to make its way out. I pray that for you and for me. This, this church will have such an impact in the lives of this community and city and region that we're called to. Not because of any guy that stands up here on Sunday morning and preaches God's Word, but it is because of lives 
lives that are transformed and minds that are renewed. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. This morning, that, as the psalmist says, the deep would call to deep this morning. Father, we, we would experience the, the urging and the presence and the, and the power of your Spirit in our life. And not, just, not just this external spirit, not just the external third person of the Trinity, but the, the spirit that you said in John 14 and 15 and 16 and in Ephesians chapter 1 has come to, to live in us and with us. And that, Father, when we open this word of yours, this this Bible, the, you, you call it the living and active Word. And the Father, your Spirit is there dwelling with us to move us beyond the natural senses that we can make in our own understanding and, Father, to illuminate all that you have said and are saying through your Word. And Father, we want to be a people who, who experience and enjoy and long for that transformation that you're doing in our lives. We, we want to know it. We want to, we want to know you. And that Father, you grant us the desires. You you call to us to renew our minds. And that, Father, you'd be gracious to us to, every now and then, to see and to point to the fruit that that bears. And that, Father, this year would be a year that countless men and women sitting in this room or watching online this morning or at one of our other campuses. It would be a year they would point and go, you know, I, I grew in my knowledge of the Lord. I, and I, not just things I know about Him, but Father, they would come away this year having known You in ways they never knew You before. So Father, I ask for that. I ask that for myself. I ask that for, for all of us here. And you would do this in us. And Father, we ask this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. If you would, would you stand with me? I'll close us with a benediction. And then we'll come back next week. Hey, next week we start a new series on the Gospel of Mark. And I can't wait. It's going to be, uh, I'm ready. Um, uh, but you might bring a lunch with you, all right? <laughs> now may the God of peace himself.
make you holy through and through. May your whole being and spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will accomplish it. Amen. See you next week.